Today's episode of The Boarding Pass is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Winnipeg Jets' NHL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. Welcome to the first ever edition of The Boarding Pass with Ken Weave and myself, Murat Atesh. My name is Murat, I am from Winnipeg, and I absolutely love the city and the Manitoba community at large because, one, we're big enough to have major impact players like Royal Canoe, the band whose music you're listening to right now, in a city where those same people are humble and kind, like my co-host Ken Weeb, the first person in Winnipeg media to ever welcome me to the scene when the Athletic Winnipeg launched in the city and across Canada at the Athletic NHL. Ken, I'm so excited to start working with you. The month we've had has been great. This is the first episode of The Boarding Pass. And after 19 years of covering the Winnipeg Jets, it's just one heck of a free agent signing that we made with you. One of the things, though, that I was stunned to learn about you after you welcomed me in one of your world-famous DMs is that you've got sort of a first-line talent and repertoire, but fourth-line hustle, and sometimes you pay your own way, or you used to pay your own way to Jets events. Can you tell me the story about how you got started? Well, for sure. Uh, I mean, back in the days when I was covering the American Hockey League and the Manitoba Moose, that was my primary beat at the Winnipeg Sun. Uh, back in 2006, uh, a young man named Jonathan Taves was one of the top prospects uh, for the draft that year, and uh, so much so that there was even there were even some whispers that he might go first overall. So. Uh, although my uh, primary responsibility was the American Hockey League, uh, I did follow the Manitobans in the NHL and future Manitobans. So for me, I saw an opportunity to... I needed something to be first-hand knowledge. I mean, I needed to be there. I needed to be there in Vancouver because, uh, you know, having covered the draft a few times, uh, it's a crazy hectic day for those first-rounders, as you saw this last uh, last year, Murad. I mean... There's not a lot of time for them to make make time for a phone call for the reporter that uh, didn't find his way to the event itself. So for me, uh, knowing the circumstances, I uh, thought I better get to Vancouver. I mean, uh, the sun was very supportive, but our budget was limited in those days. So uh reached into the old Air Miles pocketbook and uh, found a cheap hotel at out by the airport, which... Uh, Pre-Olympics was uh, not quite as close to downtown uh, <laughs> as we suspected. Not quite as easy to just get on the uh, the Canada line and get to downtown. But uh, uh, it was certainly a pretty interesting experience for a young reporter. Uh, I mean, I was at the Sun for about six years at that time. It was a very fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of event. Uh, I missed the avail, I think, with the first couple of uh, general managers that were speaking that day that had the first couple of picks. But uh, fortunately, I knew Ray Shiro a little bit from his time uh, in the American Hockey League before he took the job with the Penguins. 
and uh, happened to run into him at the at the at one of the league hotels and he was kind enough to provide uh, a quick interview with uh, the American Hockey League reporter that was a little bit lost uh, in translation and he was so good at the uh, you know saying a lot without giving away too much that uh, this young reporter was absolutely sold that he was going to use the second overall pick uh, on Taves and that's kind of how I wrote it I, I quickly phoned my editor I'm like I got this great story Ray Shiro said all this great stuff about Jonathan Taves he's probably going to take him second overall which uh, uh, would have been a pretty cool thing and uh, you know with the benefit of hindsight uh, I'm guessing uh, you know with all due respect to Mr. Jordan Stahl who's turned out to be a great NHLer uh, I think Mr. Shiro with the benefit of hindsight probably would have selected that Winnipegger with the second overall pick and uh, could you imagine a Pittsburgh Penguins team that had these three centermen uh, in their top three? It would have been Sidney Crosby, Jonathan Taves, and Evgeny Malkin uh, in no particular order. But uh, one of those fun things where I sort of look at it as we've had this conversation since, Murat, uh, that was an investment in myself. I mean, in order to cover that story properly, I needed to get to the event and uh, yes, it did cost me a few air miles and uh, a couple of uh, dollars, but uh, certainly well worth it. And uh, I mean, one of my big mottos with with this job is you got to foster relationships, uh, and you got to get the players to recognize you're just a person too. You're not you're not just a person who's trying to pry information out of them at, at all times. And fortunate enough to get to know Jonathan and his family around the draft. Uh, had a lot of great t- conversations with them and. And as many people know, Jonathan's the kind of guy that uh, never forgets his roots. And my other funny Jonathan Taves story was that the first call that I had with him uh, to set up an interview, he called me Mr. Weeb, uh, sort of along that Wayne Gretzky line where uh, he called everybody Mr. And and I think at the time I was around... uh, I think I was 31, so I'm like Jonathan. I I appreciate the uh, the respect you are paying me, but uh, you don't need to call me Mister. And in fact, please don't call me Mister anymore. But uh, yeah, he's a great person. Uh, he's carved out a great career for himself, and certainly uh, certainly had another great year last year. And I think he'll be uh, another great Manitoban to uh, follow. I know you, Marat, you did that story about the the team Manitoba in the summertime, and uh, it was certainly one of those fun reads. Yeah, Ken, uh, not only Jonathan Taves being a Winnipegger who you can generally not go wrong with, uh, let me vouch for some behind-the-scenes bits about how you do foster those relationships. And I've been in the rink with you for uh, about two years now uh, for different outlets and now at The Athletic. And I know that you know the name of every security guard. I know that you welcome writers from other markets into the city. And I and I know that you were the first person to send me a DM to say welcome aboard when, uh, when I started at The Athletic my myself also going back to vancouver in the nhl draft it was you who i sat beside and sort of guided me through some of that chaos that you said that you it's easy to get lost in, and certainly that's a whirlwind event um through that chaos i was able to talk to one of the winnipeg jets camp standouts today Ville hanala making his nhl debut against new york and we're all looking for nine games or maybe even more for from him who are your camp standouts and, and, and what are your thoughts about a guy like Ville Hainala or, or David Gustafson? Are these guys NHL players right now? Yeah, you know what? Uh, two great great choices there and they're certainly the most, uh, you know, the two most pleasant surprises uh, out of training camp for sure. Uh, not only for members of the media, but probably for uh, the coaching staff and the organizational team. I mean, I think it's pretty fair to say that there was an opening in that sort of 
fourth line center role. I mean, Mark Letestu had a bit of a leg up given his experience level, and we know that uh, head coach Paul Maurice uh, generally favors or occasionally favors the veteran players. So we kind of went in with that expectation that Gustafson was a bit of a wild card, and and making his uh, you know situation a little bit more complicated is the double IHF rule that has him basically in one spot or the other and not having the Manitoba Moose as an option for him per se uh, because he's a second-round pick and not a first-rounder. So the stakes were a little bit higher for Gustafson to have an impact early because he doesn't have the option to be sent to the Manitoba Moose. So for him, uh, I mean, he's not a flashy player, but don't confuse that or people shouldn't confuse that with not having any offensive ability. I mean, this is a defense first player that has some offensive potential, but he's been playing the last couple of years uh, in the top league in Sweden against people a lot older than him and maybe to a degree more skilled, but he's always been a conscientious two-way player. So kind of not the guy that maybe stands out on the on the game tape and not on the highlight reel, but he's always on the right side of the puck. He's always making the smart play. He's a very astute student of the game good penalty killer and does so many things well that as a coach and probably as a teammate you're looking at this young guy and saying man this guy's only 19 years old imagine when he's 21 or 24 or whatever the whatever the number is but uh, what we'd heard about him uh, around the draft was that he was sort of a Adam Lowry type of player and for me the other connection between Lowry and Gustafson is that while both players are very astute they also were able to identify some shortcomings. I mean, the first ever conversation I had with Adam Lowry was on the phone at the draft. And here's a guy that is outwardly having, he had a great year, but he's already pointed out most players at that age at 18 just want to work on what they're good at, their strengths. Uh, If they're strong naturally, they want to bench press all the time. Adam's a guy who identified that the skating was something he needed to work on, and he's constantly been working on that since he was drafted until now. And same with Gustafson. He's like, you know, he's not slow, but he's a guy that knows he needs to get his mobility up in order to be a really effective NHLer. So uh, that's my long-winded answer about him. And I'm going to be perfectly honest. uh, If I'm Paul Maurice, I would have had Gustafson in the lineup today. I think he's really shone during training camp and the preseason games. Uh, I would expect the decision probably came down to not necessarily wanting two two raw rookies in the lineup at the same time. We already know that Hanela will will be in the lineup tonight, but I expect we'll see Gustafson maybe as early as tomorrow night with this back to back situation. And I think there are some benefits to that. You're going to have a guy that's really eager again uh, to be in the lineup, much like Hanela is tonight. But uh, Hanela has been awesome. I mean, you and I have talked about him and written about him extensively. Uh, his name comes up in almost every scrum, and for good reason. I mean, here was a guy that uh, not only you and I expected, but the player himself has so often referenced the Miro Haskinen, uh, you know, model in that he was drafted, was expected to go back as a 18-year-old, play in the Liga, and then come back and, and be, a, be a force. But instead, uh, you know, obviously there's a reason why. There's a little bit more opportunity on the Jets' back end, but Hainola has just been awesome. I mean, he's... Uh, we read some of the scouting reports that maybe wondered about his skating and acceleration, and those things have not only been not a weakness, they've been a strength for him. And his vision is outstanding, his ability to make creative passes and plays with his head up. I mean, those are things that have really stood out to me 
Uh, and now it's always always going to be about how he can defend at the NHL level. I mean, he is not. He has a slight build at 18, which is natural. He's going to grow into his body. Uh, but he's just been so impressive on so many different levels and every sort of test that has come ahead of him where you think, well, maybe he'll falter this time or or maybe somebody will you know, make him look bad defensively. But those things just haven't happened. I mean, his hockey sense and smarts are off the charts and uh, his positioning and body positioning has, has just been so great that he hasn't really gotten himself in a lot of trouble defensively. He's defended well and and just the way he carries the puck, he's just uh, he's he can be a magician with the puck, and I mean his best hockey is ahead of him. And I I mean I have no idea if he can last beyond the nine games, but he certainly has earned the opportunity to start the season and and sort of see where it goes. I mean I think this is a guy that could continue to just keep getting better. I mean some people wonder if the Jets would risk burning the first year of his entry level contract just with the way their cap situation is. I mean I'm going to tell you right now I think that they don't they don't care about I mean they care but. I think if he's one of their best five defensemen, he how I don't think they're sending him back so they can keep him for an extra year. I just don't see that as a possibility. Well, let me put that to you because I see Villahanola at least at the end of camp and the beginning of the NHL regular season as well inside the top six or top five yeah. of Winnipeg's available defensemen. And we know these guys can go up and down. They're, they're young players, but should Winnipeg keep Villahanola this season? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, for me, I think as long as he shows that he's capable and those things, by all means. But my sort of word of caution when it comes to any young player, and not just him specifically, is uh, my model for early success is Mark Shifley. Mark Shifley came in, was sort of that unheralded draft pick that we didn't really know a whole lot about, showed up at development camp, uh, was excellent, and went to the Young Stars tournament and was an absolute dominant force. I think he had a hat trick in his first game. He was on fire. He had this Joe Sackick-like release. Um, just a player that came basically not from out of nowhere, but a guy who really saw his standing skyrocket. And he showed up his first camp, NHL camp, and he kept it up. And he was very good in the preseason. Deserved to stick around. Signed his contract, started the year, and then had a couple of those normal hiccups for a young player. And uh, Mark Shifley eventually scored his first goal, but then was sent back to uh, to junior, and, and rightfully so. I mean, uh, in 2011 and 2012, I mean, I'm sure that Mark Shifley felt he was ready, but I mean, there were obviously, the Jets are reaping the benefits and the rewards of having the ability to send him back until he was fully ready and a little bit more developed in terms of his uh, physical stature and those things. So uh, that's my only caution when it comes to Hanala. Obviously, different position, uh, different skill set. But for me, we'll just have to see how he, uh, you know, handles himself uh, with the rigors of what is ahead. We know that the level of competition will continue to rise, but he's risen to the level of competition so far. So I'm not ready to say that he's not going to be able to do it, but... My word of caution is that I've seen players come in and be absolutely amazing, and then when the season starts, uh, I mean, you, sometimes you realize that there's just a little bit more seasoning required, and Hanela may fall into that category, but I'm not really ready to make a judgment one way or the other. But what about you? I mean, where do you stand on where he's at right now and where he'll be in one month from now? Ken, it's funny that you should mention Mark Shifley in the Ville Hanela comparison about about getting ready because 
I think the single biggest strength of Hanela's game is the timing of his passes. There are some moments where he seems to simply be able to make more decisions in the same one second of time than anybody else around him, where he can wait until a forechecker is already committed that he's not going to pass, and then he'll thread it through his feet or thread it under his stick, and then the person skating behind that forechecker has more time and space. And I think that the Winnipeg Jet who does that at the absolute best level is Mark Shifley. I think he does it at a world-class elite level. And I would actually put that one tiny aspect of Hanela's game in that same sort of class. Um, where do I see him in a month? Where do I see this sort of development process going? Is I continue to be skeptical. I have to be honest. I, Even though he keeps clearing every bar that we set for him, I see a relatively small player. I see a Winnipeg Jets defense core where Hanela is lining up in the top four right now. There, there's no way to me that uh, a player like Anthony Batetta or someone else should be unseating Hanela from the minutes available to him. And it seems to me that this should be more than enough opportunity for Hanela to get uh, against high-level NHL competition and finally have those holes come out. Uh, I, I don't say that with certainty, but I think that that's what my expectation is. Uh, at the end of nine games, we're going to know a little bit more, of course. And it's interesting to me whether the Jets decide to give him nine games in a row uh, to evaluate, it would possibly with the thought to keeping him up for the full season because, as we know, Nathan Beaulieu is injured. Uh, as we know, Dustin Bufflin is a big story we can get to in a little bit. Um Hanela right now is very clearly within that group and the, it's possible that they go nine games with him. It's possible that he gets nine out of the Jets' first 15 as they see how he responds to all of this. I'm so optimistic on this player in the long run. I absolutely am. Uh, and, and honestly, I, I know that I should be committing to something right now. And if I have to, you know what? I'll let my optimism <laughs> say that he'll make the team and, and stick because there are some things he does simply so well. Uh, but of course, the truth is time will tell. How big a factor will the power play minutes on that second unit be in terms of this decision? Because we know that the Jets' top unit plays a lot. I think that, you know, eventually, Anola will have such a big impact as a power play quarterback, and he's already shown some glimpses already, but because he's probably starting on that second unit, but that second unit we know had some big moments for the Jets last year. I mean, can his special teams play alone? make up for any possible uh, I mean you know area of his game that isn't ready at this point when the Jets are making those decisions you know ideally I think that that would be a place where he would shine um, there is the there is the question though of how many minutes he actually gets in that situation because you know you and I have watched him in practice uh, with Neil Pionk on that second unit three forwards and two defensemen but we also know that the Winnipeg Jets number one unit is by far and away the the unit that they go to uh, Paul Maurice has alluded to this recently or said it out loud that you know often just because they keep possession in the offensive zone and there's some dangerous weapons there they'll get something to the effect of 90 seconds of a two minute power play and then you're left in a situation where maybe those guys are coming off of the ice uh Hanela and Pionk get a little bit of what's left and are now made to defend heavily in sort of a five-on-five capacity and I almost wonder if that's why they're starting the season together at five-on-five because there's going to be a little bit of that um so I don't think he's in prime position to get enough minutes for his point totals to soar but I do think that when he's in that situation like Pionk he'll be a good distributor of the puck 
One of the things that I, I like about Neil Pionk's game uh, in that note is something that I think is similar to Hanela in that he's a distributor a distributor on the power play. There is no bomb, and Ville Hanela doesn't shoot with a bomb either. There's no cannon from the point like a Dustin Bufflin to a lesser degree Jacob Truba to a lesser degree Tyler Myers and all the players are no longer available. There is simply no cannon there, but the distribution is perfect. I think Ville Hanela puts pucks into people's wheelhouses as well as any other Winnipeg Jet right now. And from that sort of standstill of the power play without the the pressure and the big bodies right on him, uh, I, I think that is a place where he will shine. But I don't know that 20 seconds at a time is enough yeah. um, uh, to, to really get that production. And I do wonder, no, that- I do wonder long term... Um, We'll talk about this, or, or I'll, maybe I'll, I'll bump this right up uh, all, all the way here, uh, but without Dustin Bufflin, there's suddenly some major questions about whether this is a playoff team, and if it is a playoff team, and if it isn't a playoff team, does it become a season of development where it's ideal for Hanalei to play? Does it become a situation where you almost want to keep him away from it, let his entry-level contract slide and start next year and get an older version of the same player? We can get into that, but... Maybe I'll pivot right now and ask you about Dustin Bufflin himself. What in the world is his situation? What do you believe he's he's up to right now? What can we look forward to? Because that's a difficult, difficult situation for Kevin Shovel Dayoff. For sure, and, it, and it, it let's not kid ourselves. It probably impacts the decision on Vili Hanela to a certain degree. I mean, not completely, but I mean, if Dustin Buffin comes back, all of a sudden the number of minutes available dwindles quite dramatically. So the last thought on Hanela is, I mean, we haven't been able to get to the bottom of it because the Jets don't like to deal in hypotheticals. We we know it is an option for Hanela to be assigned to the Moose, but we don't know the particulars if that is a consideration or if he'll simply go back to, to the, the Liga this year if the, if the audition doesn't turn into a full-time basis. But... I certainly would see the value if I were the player uh, in staying with the Moose because being uh, in the same arena, city, all those things would certainly leave the door open for more play. Uh, pivoting back to Bufflin, man, it, it's it, we just don't have a lot of information. I mean, it's this would be a challenging scenario for any reporter at, at any level, but Dustin is probably the most private player in the National Hockey League so there aren't a lot of hints and there's not a lot of information leaking out Uh, I think that for me the best way I can probably describe my theory about what's been happening is that Dustin is just simply probably lost the passion for the game right now Uh, I think that last year's tough injuries the concussion and the two ankle injuries probably was a contributing factor to that uh, I know there's a lot of theories being floated. I don't think that Dustin Bufflin doesn't want to play for the Winnipeg Jets. I just don't think that he that hockey is providing that same type of love that has uh, been a bit of fuel for him uh, over the years. I mean, the best example that I can give, and this was a limited example, and I don't pretend to to have all the answers, but the day that I saw Dustin Bufflin at the arena skating in the informal session with his Jets teammates on that Monday, he didn't look like himself. He was not exhibiting and exuding the same type of joy that we're used to seeing from Dustin Bufflin, the playful, the the big playful guy who's uh, slashing the stick out of the hands of a teammate, the guy who's giving a face rub after a goal, a guy who uh, 
as we like to say, has the roaming charges uh, during the scrimmages where he is, uh, you know, not defending and he's carrying the puck and he's behind the net. He's holding guys off with one arm. Uh, there just weren't those same kind of playful gestures happening. And again, at your first skate, if you're not feeling great, you're coming back from an injury. Uh, all those things are n- nothing necessarily in a vacuum, but you know, with the scope of what's happened since, I mean, that for me was a was a pretty telling. Uh, telling sign that Dustin wasn't maybe having that same kind of joy right now. But for me, the only way we're going to find resolution to this issue is not necessarily today. I mean, Dustin Bufflin may think that today he's ready to retire, but how is he going to feel a month from now or six weeks from now? And uh, I mean, Dustin's made a lot of money in the NHL, but he's in position to make $8 million this year. So is he going to feel differently after missing a couple of paychecks? I have no idea. The other part of that is no matter how much you love being at home, and I I would expect he's out fishing and hunting and doing those other things that bring him joy in his life, but he's not going to know for sure if he misses the camaraderie element or he misses the grind of the season until he's been away from hockey for, let's say, four to eight weeks. And for me, that that is probably when we're going to know for sure if Dustin Bufflin is ready or not to return uh, to the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, until that, I mean, could he, could he announce his retirement before that? Absolutely. And that maybe wouldn't surprise anyone, but for me, I think it's smart for him to take time to make, make this decision. It's a huge decision for him uh, and his family. And ultimately he needs to do what's best for himself. And I expect that is what he'll do. But, in terms of trying to, to pin down what, what's really going on, uh, that's been a challenge. But, I mean, I feel pretty confident in my theory that I just don't think that hockey was providing him the same type of joy uh, as it has in the past. And, and we'll see what that leads to uh, in the next weeks or months. One of the controversial things, if you'll trust my Twitter ats about Dustin Bufflin, <laughs> is the timing of the decision. The idea that he would come back take that skate that you observed that that uh, it, you know sort of joyless looking skate from the guy who can fend one person off in each hand and and, and laugh while doing right. it right um, some of the criticism that, that I've seen in my ads is well why not make that decision you know a month earlier and my instinct is just kind of like you it's a human element thing you know you don't really know if you miss it until you're back with the boys and you're back on the ice and you're you're in that sort of environment and well hey if you can be back in that context that you watched and and not feel that same immediate love or or still concern be concerned or question yourself then i start to understand okay maybe that's the cue that you need to take a take a bigger step away and reevaluate what do you think about that is there an ideal time was there a better play available to dustin bufflin yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I think only he can answer that. And I mean, I also think that it's very easy to provide that type of viewpoint from the sideline if you're not going through the situation that he is going through. I mean, it's easy for a fan to say he's not doing what's best for the team. But you know what, Dustin maybe didn't know what he was feeling back at his exit meeting or in the summertime or any of those other other times leading up to this. I mean, sure, it's easy for for people in the media or people that are, watch the Jets to say, well, Dustin just should have retired last April. Well, what if he wasn't having those thoughts in April? I mean, of course, the Jets 
probably would have pursued someone like a Jake Gardner if they had known Dustin Bufflin was going to be gone. But, I mean, that's that's in the past. I mean, it just... Uh, the short answer is, I mean, it, it's impossible to say without knowing for sure what Dustin is going through. But I think the fact that the Jets are giving him as long a time as they need to or as long as he needs to decide, I mean, that tells you that, I mean, sure, maybe they would have preferred a little bit longer time. But, I mean, I think they are they know the value of having Dustin Bufflin around. And if they have to wait a couple months or a couple weeks, then they're willing to wait wait that length of time. Yeah, and I do agree with that. A healthy, happy Dustin Bufflin could be the difference between playoffs or not in Winnipeg, as far as I'm concerned. Um, At The Athletic, in our bold predictions piece that we sort of deep-dived some of the wilder and and more ambitious predictions for the Jets this season, you know, I predicted that, as a matter of fact, he would return just not soon because there would be a lot of soul-searching. I wanted to ask you about some of your bold predictions as well because some of them imply an awful lot of success starting with Patrick Laine as a potential Rocket Richard Trophy winner. Where did that come from? How likely is that to happen? Well, uh, that is going to depend on Patrick, but I mean, I'm I'm not going to pick him every year to win it, but I did, I will have to confess that I did say that I thought he was a strong candidate to win it last year. So uh, I'm just going to double down on that prediction because I don't see him having two uh, sub Patrick Line level type seasons in a row. Uh, I I see a very motivated player. I see a guy who was, you know, accepted the lot in life in taking a bridge, knowing that with two big years he could absolutely cash in at that, uh, you know, maybe nine or ten plus million dollar contract on his next uh, next deal so for me I also see a Patrick Laine who over the last two years has uh, you know changed his way of training I mean it didn't lead to immediate results last year but uh, anyone who's seen him and spent any time talking to him the last couple of days notices that he is becoming more of a physical specimen Uh, I think he I'm not sure if he lost weight or not, but he is in better physical condition this year. This is a highly motivated individual. And and for me, the thing that uh, I think is the biggest misnomer on social media or on call-in shows, people that think that Dust, or Patrick Line doesn't care about hockey, I mean, that that's absolutely not the case. Uh, this guy loves the game. He is driven to become the best scorer in the National Hockey League, and he has the tools to become that player. And for me... Uh, I understand uh, there were a lot of dry spell months for him last year, but uh, I think it would be a mistake to ignore the 18-goal month and the shooting percentage that dropped. And I just see him going to the tougher areas this year and rounding out his all-around game, and uh, I think you can mark him down safely for 45, and uh, I will not be the least bit surprised if he scores 52 and wins the trophy. I really, I really see him as that type of impact player and uh, I think it could come as early as this year. And of course, if you trust him at the press conferences, he knows he will be good, <laughs> and he knows he will score a lot of goals over the next two years. Yeah, bang on. And, and I would expect a lot of those goals to be coming uh, right out of the gate. Um, uh, again, I, who knows? He missed a lot of training camp, but I, I don't think that's a factor for him, again, based on his physical condition that he appears to be in. Uh, seen him in limited views on the ice the other days he's still whipping the puck around and 
I mean, nobody feels worse about the 30-goal year than Patrick Laine. And that would have been something that drove him, motivated him throughout the course of the entire summer. And uh, the benefit of, I mean, the one thing that we're ignoring, not ignoring, but the fact that Patrick has played an awful lot of hockey in the years leading up to last year when you're looking at World Juniors, World Championships, uh, Jets' deep playoff run to the Western Conference Final, dealing with some injuries, things of that nature. I think this is a guy that, you know, he hasn't had a game played since April, and I spoke with him on the way out of the rink today, and he's a guy who's eager to get into game action. I mean, this is a guy that is uh, is ready to go, uh, highly motivated and incredibly skilled. So, I mean, I, I expect him to have a big impact right out of the gate, and uh, there's another Finnish player that's going to be on the ice for the New York Rangers, and I think that uh, Patrick is the ty- type of person that uh, is always quick to want to say, hey, I'm the best Finn on this ice, and eventually he's going to be saying I'm the best scorer in the in the NHL. Uh, Got to end with a shout-out for that Winnipeg-born goal last night for, for Cody Glass as well, uh, which is kind of where we came in with just some passion for Winnipeg, Manitoba. Moving forward with the Athletic Winnipeg's podcast, The Boarding Pass. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you for Episode 1, Ken. Um, so let me just wrap it here. For Ken Weeb, I'm Radatesh. Thank you for joining the Boarding Pass. To hear an extended version of this podcast, where you can hear Ken and I delve deeper into our bold predictions, talk about the playoffs, what it's going to take if Winnipeg can get there, and make our Stanley Cup finalist and winning predictions, go to theathletic.com and subscribe. You'll get more Winnipeg Jets coverage at the same high level you expect from The Athletic Winnipeg. Winnipeg.